This is In Conversation from Network Reorient in association with Reorient Journal and the Critical Muslim Studies Project. We aim to explore the post-Western, reconnect the Islamosphere. In this episode, Amina Isat Das is in conversation with Huria Boutelja on decolonial activism and Islamophobia in France. Hello, salam alaikum. I am delighted to be joined by Huria uh, Boutelja, um, who is a decolonial activist, and he'll be speaking to us on the Network Reorient uh, podcast. First, to introduce myself, I'm Dr. Amina Isat Das. I'm a lecturer in politics at De Montfort University in Leicester. Um, I specialise in um, Islamophobia studies, particularly gendered Islamophobia, um, and I've recently published a book looking at Muslim women's political participation in France and Belgium. So quite appropriately, um, I'm delighted to be joined by um, Huria, who, as I mentioned, is a decolonial activist. Um, she is born in Algeria, raised in France. Um, her political activism takes a distinct anti-imperialist and anti-racist tone. Um, she has published the book Whites, Jews and Us Towards a Politics of Revolutionary Love. Um, Salaamu Alaikum, Haria. It's a pleasure to be joined by you. Salaamu Alaikum. <laughs> Alaikum um, So just to kind of um, get going, if you could introduce yourself for us um, to the listeners and particularly if you could describe the nature of your political activism in, in France? I try to. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you, as you, you introduced introduce me, I'm a decolonial activist, which is something very new in France, decoloniality. Uh, when I began in 2004, no one was decolonial uh, at, at this time. Uh, so when I, I, I began uh, activism, because I was not an activist before, uh, when I began, it was in the context of the nine uh, of nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Was in the context of uh, a strong Islamophobia in France, and it was in the context of the law, uh, you know, this law against Muslim women uh, of two thousand and four. Uh, I was uh, in a collective. Uh, which um, fought this law with uh, we were with uh, Muslim people with Muslim activists and also with uh, um, activists from the left from the white left who were not Islamophobic they were not uh, they were they was they were th- this part of the left was um, uh, in minority it was a minority at this time but we we did a, a good job at this time. We we, we tried to, to reveal to to emphasize the fact that this law was uh, racist and it was sexist in the same mm-hmm. time. Uh, I think that even if we were uh, a minority in the in the in this context, uh, our arguments were very strong and very powerful. And this is why we we managed at this time to 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 build other spaces, other other political spaces in in the basis of the work that the, uh, had been done. Mm-hmm. So, as a, a point of contextualization, um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will know about nine eleven. 
um, and it has been a catalyst for many um, in terms of activism. I think it was perhaps a global awakening, but definitely we can chart Islamophobia before all of that. But what's specific about the the, the French context in terms of the 2004, the, the Loi Stasi, which um, prohibited ostentatious, and I'd say that in quote marks, ostentatious um, symbols of faith. Could you perhaps describe a little um, that 2004 setting, what had led to all of that? What was the sentiment on the ground, really, um, in relation to the banning of ostentatious faith symbols in schools in France? You want to know more about the context? Yes, yeah, definitely. The context before 9-11 or... Around the 2004 law. Yeah. Um, you have to understand that uh, in the 80s, the 90s, and uh, the early, um, how do you say, thousands? Early 2000s, yes. Yeah. 2000s. Uh, at this time, it was, it, was, um, it was a shame to be racist. Uh, because at this time, uh, we there was the hegemony of what we call moral anti-racism mm -hmm. and moral anti-racism is the the anti is the white anti-racism the the, the anti-racism of the of the of the white left it means a, a, an anti-racism that is um a cheap anti-racism mm -hmm. i don't know if, if you understand what i mean it means that um those who were racist at this time was the the far right Jean-Marie Le Pen, and uh, what we call Monsieur et Madame Dupont. Mm -hmm. It means people who are racist, only people who are racist. Some people are racist in France. But the other part of the political field was not racist. And um, what we reveal at this time as activists, as activists is that racism is structural. It's mm -hmm. from the states. And this is what we... Uh, what was the the new way of looking to racism okay mm -hmm. and um, as race as there was at this time the hegemony of anti uh, of uh, moral anti-racism it was important for the the islamophobes to invent a respectable racism mm -hmm. and this is what they what they did with the the, the, the islamophobia the, the the discourse the official discourse was we are not racist we are not mm -hmm. against muslims we are against the religion mm -hmm. and it is a part of our history to be against uh against religions so we are against islam uh, like we are against christianity mm -hmm. okay so it was a way to be racist from uh, respectable point of view. Mm -hmm. This is what we call respectable racism. Mm -hmm. Being Islamophobic is not a shame. Mm -hmm. Being anti-black, being anti-Arab was a shame. Mm -hmm. But being anti-Muslim, anti-Islam was not a shame. Mm -hmm. the, I think that definitely reveals some of the complexities, but also the specificities of France. Um, in that, so this idea of being anti-religion comes from the 1905 law around laicity uh, or secularism. And I think it's 
it's almost unfair to translate laicite to secularism because it contains so many more nuances um, and so much more history. Um, there's work by people like Businesc, for example, that's a good insight into those complexities. Um, but you talked about uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen, Le Pen Senior. We have the Le Pen dynasty in France of the, the, the far right that used to be Front National, now is Rassemblement National. Um, the uh, the uh, it, it's not limited. I would say that this respectable racism in France isn't limited to the far right end of the political spectrum. Would you say that it, in France the idea of respectable racism has also infiltrated the left and the liberal end of the political spectrum? I think respectable racism. Uh, it's mostly in the left, mm-hmm. not in the right, because in the far right, they assume to be racist. It's not a problem for them to be anti-Muslim or anti-Arab or anti-Black. Mm-hmm. But in the left, it's not something usual. It's not something new. So they, they had to invent something to be racist respectably. Mm-hmm. So I think that it concerns mostly the left mm. and the in france definitely i think you see this um liberal left-wing um islamophobia that tries to pass itself off as acceptable um would you say there are also undercurrents of the sort of colonial mentalities that come out here um sort of savior complexes um that also then have that intersectional gendered element as well as racial and the racialization of Muslims that it encompasses. Is there a coloniality aspect to it all? This is why we called ourselves indigenous of the Republic. Mm-hmm. This is, there is a continuum, a colonial continuum in France. Yes, there is the past and there is the, 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 the present and the colonial present. It's mm-hmm. not only a question of past. This is uh, an error to think that. Mm-hmm. Of course, there is the... The, 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 the colonial imag- Im- imaginary mm-hmm. there is the colonial imaginary, imaginary there, there is the colonial reflex and there is the present and the present is very important because I think that France is still a colonial country mm-hmm. in another way but it is still uh, it is still a colonial country so that's apparent when we think about uh France-Afrique, for example, uh, does it persist with um, predominantly Muslim um, countries as well as, or is it limited in, in, in certain ways? I, I didn't understand the question. So the, the coloniality, is it across all former colonial um, countries that France uh, occupied, or is it something that's restricted to certain spaces? It is not restricted. For example, we can take the, the example of Turkey. Mm-hmm. Turkey was not a colonial country. It was, it was not colonized by France. Mm-hmm. But the relationship between the French state and the Turkish people in mm-hmm. France is colonial. Mm-hmm. So it's not direct. It's not, uh, we can, um, uh, it, it means that the colonial uh, relationship of the state is, is general. Mm-hmm. It is uh, applicated to everyone, everyone mm-hmm. who is not white. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. That's really interesting. So you mentioned your um, activism and how you were motivated by the 2004 law, but also the growing climate of Islamophobia uh, in France and and more generally. Did you encounter um, particular obstacles to your engagement in France? Yes. Uh, when we decided to organize ourselves uh, independently from the left and with a decolonial project, we had a lot of obstacles, a lot of obstacles, because we were seen as competitors to the left. We were seen as people having another agenda, a competitive agenda something that we that is going to to be competitive with the notion of class struggle mm-hmm. because we we put forward the the notion of race struggle for us it's combinated of course i think there is, there is a class struggle of course and there is also a race struggle inside the um, popular classes mm-hmm. okay so for us, it's completely combinated, but it was not seen like that in the white left. It was it was seen as a, a wrong uh, fight. So was it almost like the the white left felt they had a monopoly on yes. the issues? And perhaps was there a lack of understanding of that intersectionality of socioeconomic disadvantage with racialized disadvantage in France at the time. Yes, definitely. They don't understand at all uh, uh, what, how the discriminations are projected. Mm-hmm. They don't have any idea about that. Uh, f- Fifteen years ago. Now, uh, at the beginning, when we when we began in two thousand and five, just after the law when we launched the the call of the indigenous of the republic in france no one was uh, um, uh, was talking about the notion of whiteness for example whiteness didn't exist at all at this time now everyone can talk about this notion and it was due to our fights our struggle it was due to our theoretical um, work and our political work, yes. So now there is a, a better understanding of what race is, a better understanding. And I'm not saying that they understand what race means. I am just saying that there is a better understanding. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting um, in the French context, which some of our listeners may not be familiar with. We have this notion of I guess it's best described as color blindness, whereby or and I use quotation marks here again because that is layered with multiple problems, but there is a distinct um position against recording ethnic difference in France, against recording religious difference. It is this idea that it doesn't exist, and I think that then produces 
all of these issues that I guess the indigenous of the Republic Party has had to to fight against. Um, would you say that the climate has changed? I feel that in the UK we've been strongly influenced by movements such as Black Lives Matter in recent months. Has there been a similar um, echo in France of this movement? You are talking about, about Black Lives Matter? Yes. Yeah, there is an echo about... Uh, but, yes, yeah, there is an echo. There is uh, influences, of course. But at the same time, in France, the mass media, even the left, they say that this is... Uh, uh, the, the, the question of race in France is an importation from the US. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we are just uh, copying, we are just mm-hmm. uh, imitating... Uh, the the Americans, <laughs> because in France there is no question of race. <laughs> this is crazy to say to think that, but this is what the the ideology of universalism mm-hmm. uh, uh, lead to. Mm-hmm. Definitely, uh, and I guess that kind of brings us on to um, recent developments in France around. Um, around these sorts of issues, we think about Macron's comments recently about um, Islamism and the murder of Samuel Paty and the call for the dissolution of numerous civil society organisations in France, hysteria again around halal uh, products. How has that, that played out? And could you perhaps give a bit of a background of recent weeks and the current developments in France? I think that the background is a craziness. Mm-hmm. I think that this history, this hysteria, mm-hmm. hysteria is uh, can be uh, understood by the fact that France is in crisis and France is in decline. And I think that a civilization or culture or a, a, a country that is used to dominate, to dominate. Uh, it's very difficult for France, that is that is a dominating country, to face its own decline, and I think this is the the the, the most important point to understand. There is a uh, the, now nowadays there are a, there is a, a big competition between the former colonial countries, the U.S., France, Great Britain. And there is now China, there is Iran. So, first of all, they are not alone to uh, dominate the world. They are competitors and very big competitors, first of all. And the second thing is that, uh, in the same time, this decline means that um, people, white people who are, who are used to dominate, they are not going, going to dominate anymore. They're going to lose all their privileges because this is the, the, the world we are living here. We are living uh, in a very, in a, in a crisis of capitalism, a big crisis of capitalism. So I think that in this new um, political field, uh, France doesn't, have the how, how do you say um, the possibility to understand what happens to 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 to, to this country? I, you, you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the idea that France can't deal with its own decline, 
And I think we see a lot of elements of this French protectionism um, linguistically, um, the kind of hostility towards Anglo-Saxon terminology even, but also in what you mentioned about race, the idea that race is a US import um, without having that sense of introspection um, to see that it's potentially, that it is in fact a very real issue within France and that, that, that there are numerous tensions um, simmering under the surface that, that, set to, that look set to come to the fore. Um, so one of the things that, um, that sort of um, struck me was the call for the dissolution of um, often Muslim-led and Muslim-centred civil society organisations. So we have things like the, uh, the Counter-Islamophobia Collective in France, or Baraka City. Um, and for me, that struck me as being in contradiction with the 1901 law guaranteeing the freedom of association in France. Um, what were your thoughts around all of this? The thought that the, the idea that a, a minister could call for the dissolution of, of groups like this? The question is, what, what is my opinion on that? Yes. I think it, it's quite easy to understand. I think that the French government, the power, has to to find who is guilty for the crisis. Who is guilty? There is terrorism. There are two options. Muslims are guilty, or the French state is guilty. The French state can be is guilty because he's making war in in the in the middle east or in africa so this is the first option this is a way of understanding what happens this is a way of understanding terrorism this is my way of understanding terrorism but it is not shared here in france because they, no one wants to face this huge question of who is guilty for terrorism so when there is an act of terrorism in France, it's important for the state to become innocent. So when he says we, ha we are going to, to do the dissolution of CCEF or Baraka City, is a way to say they are guilty, I'm innocent. This is it, nothing else. So the, um, the hanger, hanger, la colère. Mm -hmm. The anger. The anger, sorry. The anger of the people, of the French opinion, is towards Muslims and not towards the state. And as you know, there was here two, two years ago a big movement, les Gilets jaunes. Mm -hmm. The, the yellow, yellow vests, yes. It was a huge movement and it was violence. Was violent against the states, and the the power was frightened by this kind of revolution. So how can it can he solve this equation? How can he solve itself? How can he how can he um, so, uh, save itself? <laughs> uh, it's important that this anger of the white people, because the, the yellow vests were whites, mm -hmm. white 
poor people. So it's important that this opinion, this class, because this is a class, uh, it's important that uh, the states, it's important for the state that his anger is tourné uh, vers. Is uh, redirected. <laughs> redirected. Uh, to the Muslims, to the to the the non whites. Mm -hmm. So it's much it's easier. Yes, yeah, it's much easier to find these scapegoats, um, yes. and and I guess the the figure of the Muslim in France has always been the scapegoat. If we look during the colonial period, and the time in which the new migrant populations were framed in their ethnic identity to so the time where they've been racialized as Muslims and seen as this kind of monolith, this one homogenous block. It's always been the convenient scapegoat. But isn't it that the, 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 what I find contradictory here is that movements such as the Gilets Jaunes, but also the right and the movements led, the social movements led by Muslims, um, they are actually very French. The idea of revolution, the idea of uh, questioning the state, is that not a, a, a quintessentially French uh, concept? Revolution? Yeah, but th there, is, there are several friends. Yes. There, are, there is not one France. friends. There are several. There, are the, there is the, the... We can have... Um, uh, a class analysis. There are la bourgeoisie and the mm -hmm. the, 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 the the working classes. The late no, the proletariat. Yes. <laughs> there are there are the yeah they, they, so so not only there are the, the racialized people there are the white people there are several friends. So uh, 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 of course. As in, as as the Great Britain, as in Great Britain, there, there are contradictions. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. I I see this as as um, an, yet another example of French contradiction: the idea that you'd shut down civil society organisations, but then simultaneously we see the scapegoating of marginalised community, whether that be socioeconomically marginalised communities or ethnically, religiously marginalized communities. It's the that number of people in France when even if they they legitimate themselves by the French Revolution and even if they say we are like the French revolutionaries, we are doing a revolution, they are not seen as revolutionaries. They are seen as people making problems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this, I think, really reflects the double standards yes. that exist in France. One, in terms of political organizing, um, both conventional and non-conventional forms, but also around the implementation of laws. And I think we spoke about this at the beginning, this idea of the, the headscarf law, the school headscarf law, which it commonly became known as. The idea that they've almost that this, the state has forgotten the basis of secularism, the idea that one religious community at the time, the Catholic community, shouldn't become too powerful, that it has become weaponized 
as a combative tool against the the marginalized communities, in this case, the Muslim communities, there's a, a disconnect between the philosophy at which they arrived at this point of Im implementing secularism in law, and then the idea that it could be used as a means of targeting people who are not representatives of the state, who are merely um, citizens. And this double standard of application of law, this double standard of application of, of liberté that, you know, is in the French motto, the French uh, Republican philosophy, I think that there's always that double standard we see um, coming out when we consider Muslims. Uh, of course, there is a double standard, but actually, the first law of uh, 1905, mm -hmm. it changed. Mm -hmm. It's not the same. Um, I, I don't think that we can talk about laicité in 1905 as the same way as la laicité in 2005. Mm -hmm. it, um, we can talk about, uh, I don't know the word in English, trahison. Uh, betrayal. Yes. Because uh, the law of 2004 introduced the idea that people should be neutral. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the tradition, the state had to be neutral. And now people, Muslims, has to be neutral. I think that it is a fascist mm -hmm. understanding of the law. Mm -hmm. When you introduce this this new idea, it means that you don't ha you can't have you can't have ideas, mm -hmm. you can't have a conscience, you can't have an opinion, you can't have a faith, because you have to be neutral. What does it mean? A human being being neutral. What does it mean? Nothing. This is only fascists. Mm -hmm. It's it's nonsensical, it's, isn't it? This is a real betrayal of the law of uh, 1905. This is another law, mm -hmm. something new. Mm -hmm. So now we have a new law. This is something that imposed to human beings to be neutral. And actually, the, the tension comes from the fact that we are human beings and we are not neutral it's impossible so the contradiction of the of the states of the people who are laic who are radical laicists is that they can't oblige us actually in everyday life to be neutral so there is here a big conflict how can how can they neutralize us? I, I think when you think really about this question, we can go very far because when you can't neutralize someone, but you want to, but you still want to neutralize it, what is the the end of the story? What is the end? Surely there's no end in sight. Yeah, it's death. Yeah, yeah. There's no, to me, there's no solution. But then I think it comes there's down no to... Options. Exactly. There are no there's options, no, there are no there solutions. No way. Mm -hmm. No 
we can't go anywhere with that. One hundred percent. I think that that's incredibly true. That it there is a a betrayal of the initial ideas. There is entirely new legal systems that happen to have been given the same names as those were employed initially in nineteen o five. Um, there's a distinct step away, a significant step away from all of that. But I think you you touch on a really um important point that humans, by their very nature, we can never appear neutral. There are things about our identity, whether we like it or not, that are apparent. Um, and I think there's a lack of willingness to accept that. Um, I've, I've often heard people say that in, in France, to get by, to succeed, to be successful, you must be more royal than the king. Um, it is the only way. And, and, it, and it really reflects the, the sort of normative assimilationist tendencies in France that one must erase all elements of their difference um, and the hybridity of their own identities to ever have a chance of being accepted but then I think simultaneously for me I have these discussions mentally with myself about secularism about the law the legislative framework in France about political debates and discourse but then I come back to thinking well, does it even matter? Would Muslims still be the scapegoats in France, regardless of the framework that's employed? I, I, I didn't understand. So, I'm sorry. would Muslims still always be targeted, regardless of what legal devices are employed? I'm sorry, I don't understand. <laughs> So will Muslims always be the scapegoats, regardless of anything in France? As long as there is no, uh, there is not a reverse, a transformation of the of the relationship of power. Mm -hmm. If we are not able to organize as Muslims, as non-whites. And if we are not able to convince the progressive left to join our struggle and to, to, to formalize, to build what we call uh, a decolonial majority, if we are not able to do that, we are go still going to be the victims. And it's, it's the same in the US. It's the same in Germany. It's the, the same in Portugal. It's the same in Great Britain. It's 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 true everywhere. It's a question of of a relationship of power. Mm -hmm. Are we able to do politics? Is there that sort of unity um, among, or is there signs of that ever emerging? this sort of unity among the left, among the non-white communities in France? There is an evolution. As I told you, 15 years ago, no one were, okay, could, could even talk about whiteness, for example. Now we talk about decoloniality, we talk about whiteness, we talk about organizing ourselves independently, we, are, we talk about political anti-racism, we talk about uh, structural racism. Now. This is something that is generalized in the left, let's say. 
so there is a, uh, a positive evolution. But in the same time, the far right uh, is speedier than us. Speedier? Uh, yes. Speedier. Speedier. It's speedier than us. Because the, the, the forces that are organized today uh, are in, in favor of the right, not of the, of the left. And I think this is a, 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 an evolution, a general evolution in the whole Europe. I would agree that this wave of populism and also the normalization of populism is a broader European phenomenon, but I think we could go even further than that. It's a, a Western phenomenon. If we look at the US, um, even in places like Australia, for example, but then even you could go one step further and we look at places in the global south like India and China that are part of this phenomenon. And also I think there's a tendency now, and you see it a lot um, on online platforms, but also opinion pieces, etc., or people from the global south, such as um, supporters of the BJP in India, coming forward to, to celebrate the actions and the comments of Macron recently. So I think that you're completely right. It's part of a, a broader problem and the globalization of Islamophobia, um, I think. I guess on that note, and as someone who works on counter narratives to racism, as someone who's interested in sort of pushing forward the anti-racist project, do you think, um, I mean, what's the future for France? What are the... Um, potentials for countering this Islamophobia in France? What Are there any best practices going on that we might learn from France? I think we are maybe, I don't know, 8 or 10% of the population. It's a lot. So I think that... Um, no one has interest in the civil war. So I don't know if you noticed that in France uh, during the two weeks, during two weeks ago, the assassination of Samuel Paty was a big emotion. And it was, it, it was a big emotion and it was very instrumentalized by the state and the media. But the the, the, how do you say the attacks. The attacks. The attacks of Nice didn't have the same impact. <laughs> didn't have the same impact. I think that the state and the media decided to to make the tension um, uh, go uh, or to different. reduce, to reduce or to lower. Because they went too far. Mm -hmm. They went, the, the situation, was, the tension was so high that it became dangerous mm -hmm. for everyone. So I think that uh, to a certain point, the government understands that it has to be reasonable. Because we are 10% of the population. 
And it's true that inside this population, there are people who can do these attacks. And the climate can push them to do the, the, the attacks. So they understand that they don't have, they have not to, how do you say, jouer avec le feu. To play with fire. Play with fire. And, uh, but in the same time, uh, we have uh, a lot of resistance. We have organizations, we have, pe we have people who are fighting, not only among the racialized people, but also among the intellectuals, among, among the left, among people who know that uh, Macron is a crazy man. So potentially that's what we can learn um, from the French situation. But I think it's interesting you touched on the the way in, in which, I mean, the abhorrent murder of Samuel Paty was sensationalized. It was instrumentalized um, in part. I also noticed, um, I guess that then reflects the way in which the French media, like other medias, um, is a sort of mouthpiece for the promotion or the silencing of certain messages. And I think we saw that silencing in France at the same time, soon after the murder of Samuel Paty, we saw um, Muslim women being attacked in Paris, two of whom were stabbed. But there was very limited coverage on all of this. Or at the same time as Nice, there was the... Um, identitarian generation identity generation identitaire that um that orchestrated an attack in avignon and we see this silencing or promoting by the media and and also political figures in their political rhetoric and discourse we see these these tools coming out but i think yes in terms of what we can learn from france that there is a sizable muslim population there is a sizable anti-Islamophobic population, hopefully, as well. Um, and one would hope that this presents a resistance to the increasing demonization and marginalization of Muslims. Yes, but you have to understand something else, uh, is that the Muslim population is the labor population. And it's a need to the French patronat. The, uh, the bosses, employers, big companies. Yes, they, they rely on us yes. <laughs> to everyday life. So they need us. So this is something that we have to take into account. We are the labor part, the, the, uh, 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 a big labor class. Mm -hmm. So um, we, they need us for everyday life. Mm -hmm. And we saw that during the, 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 the COVID uh, mm -hmm. crisis. Mm. And I think that's interesting. You can perhaps draw parallels. Um, in the UK, I think whilst the French Muslim population is largely uh, comprises a lot of the labor in France um, and, and potentially holds a lot of power there as well you know the withdrawal or the withholding of labor can have significant impacts on a country and in, and its economy in the UK during um, 
during the first wave of COVID, um, there was a highlighting of the fact that the National Health Service is largely made up by non-native um, individuals and a large number of them are Muslims. But then, sadly, soon after that, we saw reports coming out that Muslims in the NHS, the National Health Service in the UK, still continued to face the constant barrage of Islamophobia, both from their colleagues, but also the individuals who they were treating. Um, so on the one hand, it's important to highlight what we as Muslims do, but at the same time, it doesn't always take away from the the constant islamophobia that, yes, that's often course, faced i'm just saying that we have to take this into account mm -hmm, definitely definitely it reminds me of the uh i think it's a poem by suhema menzor khan um this is not a humanizing poem um around uh, in which she talks about um the idea that we need to normalize Muslimness and humanize Muslimness. Well, this isn't exactly what we need to do. It's it's the individual who's making those demands that needs to check their own humanity. Um, so I think there's some interesting parallels and comparisons that we could make there. Thank you so much um, for your time today. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. Um, I've learned a great deal. Um, and um, hopefully the listeners have enjoyed this too. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you for the invitation. Thank bye. You. This is another episode of In Conversation, brought to you by Network Reorient, the podcast arm of Critical Muslim Studies. Thank you for tuning in. Have a listen to our other episodes and please leave a like and a rating.